Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This is the podcast dedicated to how music impacts people's lives. For the show, we usually have two co-hosts, myself, Hunter Sagona, and Sean Remkunis, who is across from me in his room. And Sean and I believe that many people have a playlist that make their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Today's musical quote is, Punk was defined by an attitude rather than a musical style. David Byrne. Today we will sit down with Tyler Suarez. Tyler Suarez is a 21-year-old multi-instrumentalist composer, producer, artist, and activist from Nuckatuck, Connecticut. Tyler has always had a strong affinity for music and musical expression. Starting to play guitar when he was four years old, Tyler formed his first touring punk band, Punk Side, in fifth grade and has been worked with many well-known, talented musicians since then. From performing with Kenny Rogers and Jonathan Edwards and to also recording with the Grammy Award-winning producer-slash-musician Jin Pugh, Tyler is a versatile and experienced musician. After collaborating in 2015, Tyler decided to find his own sound and released his own first solo project, Demos, Songs with Meaning. Continuously writing and performing his original music, Tyler is duly committed to spreading powerful political and existential messages through art and activism. Tyler says he uses music to process the world around him. Tyler's musical atmosphere is very fluid, from blues to jazz to experimental rock and indie alternative. Tyler has always been more interested in creating artistic and conceptual projects rather than sticking to a specific genre. Tyler's songs become more than just three minutes of music. They become pieces that expand upon and elaborate on the themes and messages within a project. Tyler believes that music picks up where words leave off. With his bachelor's degree in music education from Bridgeport and currently pursuing a master's degree in music education, Tyler keeps himself busy by teaching guitar at Soundwave Music Studio in Prospect, Connecticut, and working with keys to provide a one-to-one instrument lessons and group music instruction to underserved inner-city children in Bridgeport, Connecticut, who have no other access to the truly empowering life experience. Ever since losing his aunt, Dawn Lefferty Hawksprung, uh, Hawksprung, the principal of Sandy Hook Elementary School on that gloomy December day, Tyler has been an activist for gun violence prevention and inspiring change. Tyler is a member of the Connecticut Against Gun Violence Executive Board and the founder of the online community organization Connecticut Students Demand Action. Tyler was the lead organizer of the March for Our Lives event in Hartford, Connecticut, which drew nearly 15,000 people together on Connecticut State Capitol on March 24, 2018, to call for change. Tyler continues to empower others and demonstrate the power in each and every one of our voices. In June of 2018, Tyler signed his first record deal with the independent label Little Village Foundation, Little Princess, the song Tyler and his grandfather, Joseph Sear, wrote to grieve, honor, and continue the legacy of Dawn Lefferty Hawksprung, was featured on the student protest compilation album, Raise Your Voice. With this collection of voices from across the country, one singular voice emerges, one of love, sadness, empathy, and a profound call for change. To celebrate its release, Tyler performed at the 2018 Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival. 
In a chaotic and unsettling 2020, Tyler released Genesis, a collaborative EP with friend and fellow musician Trax, a new full-length solo album, Best, created and scored a new short film, Best of Luck in Your Future Endeavors, launched Melody Machines, a new podcast, published two books, What If We All Had a Revelation, and uh, Pocketbook of Pocketbooks, released on ambient album Audio Portrait USA, and started U.S. Anxiety and Sunday Soundscapes, two new social media projects. To wrap up this weird time we live in through 2020, Tyler's new EP Weird Times comes out on December 31st, which is in two days, or three days, three days. Without further ado, here's Tyler. All right, Tyler, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. It's great to be back. We are very excited to have you here. We're doing all good. Uh, we'll jump right into it. So the first song that you wanted to talk about was The Eater of Dreams by Nine Inch Nails. And, you know, I, I'm researching the song a little bit. It's from an out there album from 2013. So it's relatively recent, you know, comparatively. Um, it isn't a very long song. Why do you think I um, think that is. Yeah, I think, first off, I, I before, before I forget, I wanted to say, I, I kind of summed up the, the perfect way to explain this song in that it's a soundscape of what a serial's, serial killer's brain sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, that's kind of controversial, but I, I, that's definitely what I, I picture when I hear it. And I think the, the reason why it's so short is because it does what it needs to do in that amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. you, you go through those distorted guitars swelling up and all that dissonance, and then it's just over. And then you're, in, you're, like, you're put right into the album. And that's all it's really right. meant to do. It's, it's one of those songs where you don't have a chorus that you repeat four times just to make the song a minute longer. You know? And I right. really love art that does that. I think Trent Reznor does a great job of only putting the bare minimum of what you need to get the point across in his music. Mm -hmm. So you like the concise, you know, it, whether it be writing, would you say that's true? Yeah, definitely. Even with the instrumentation, like you could do so many things with just one little piano part um, and which we'll get to when we talk about Philip Glass. But I feel yeah. like that's a big thread that um, through my favorite composers is that there doesn't need to be a lot to say a lot. That's very, that's very true. That's how very minimalist of you. Right. Yes. <laughs> As if we didn't know from last time. Right. Yeah. It's showing again. Um, why do you think, because the first thing that struck me, obviously, which is I'm sure the intention of the composer, but when you start the song, right, the effects begin and it alternates between the headphones and not each one back and forth, but it's like a pattern that goes back and forth. Right. What, what do you think the purpose of that effect is? Why not just put it in through both, both ears? Right. Um, I, I think that that just adds another layer to it. You know, you could listen to this song on speakers and, not, and totally miss uh -huh. that part. So you don't have that technical part where you're, right. where you're exactly. actually feeling it in, in, in your headphones. Um, but then once you put the headphones on, like a lot of Trent Reznor's music, I listen to only in headphones. Um, I, I did a lot of that during my mm -hmm. undergrad 
he's his music is kind of what got me through my undergrad. I would put on um like nine inch nail albums and just zone out while I was studying or, or writing papers. And it definitely has that kind of hypnotic effect to where, you know, it's not just the music is out there. Now the music, the music is in you and you can hear it. Like you're in the middle of, of both of those speakers. And again, a lot mm -hmm. of artists toyed with that. I mean, the Beatles were pretty famous for panning things hard left and hard right and stuff, but um, there's definitely a, a gentle way of doing that. And I think that Trent does that, does that really well. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting too, because like you said, if you were to listen to it on speakers and obviously speakers existed before headphones, what would have, unless you have like a, a, a dual system set up with two, you know, what, I wonder what would have made them think to do that. And obviously I'm sure uh, Trent Reznor learned from people like the Beatles who were the ones, you know, to experiment with stuff like that. Um, in general, do you think the effect is to add to the song or is it more experiential? I definitely experiential. I think it's, it's, it's more of a, a feeling thing. It doesn't really affect the way that the song sounds. It's, it, it affects the way that your body feels it and hears it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it, it really is this existential thing of why you do it, why you pan things if you put the drums slightly over here. Because like mm -hmm. I would just say, you, you feel like you're in the middle of it. Right, exactly. Uh, um, and then obviously, you know, looking at the song, the big sort of question that pops to my mind is where, and this is, I don't know, maybe you read something about it, but why do you think the title is what it is? The Eater of Dreams. Where do you think the title comes from? Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, I, I feel like titles, they, they have a lot to do with what the song portrays. Because if you listened to that and you didn't know the name of it, I feel like you would listen to it differently than if you knew the name was The Eater of Dreams. Right. Also, I feel like you would listen to it differently if you didn't know it was off the album Hesitation Marks. So I feel mm -hmm. like this is the song that opens this album right up. So you you have to make a statement of what this album is going to portray in just that one short song. I think he does it because it is very uh, hesitant. You you can yeah, feel it, it. like you don't you don't really know where it's going, but you know it's going somewhere, and then as soon as you realize it's going somewhere, you're already into the next song, you know, and it's just like that abrupt change. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. And that was, you know, that was something that I, I forget who I was, I was talking about this with someone, but basically what you just said, perception is everything, right? So by adding a title, it gives your mind a direction to go to. Like you said, if there was no title, you would perceive the song differently. You know what I mean? It's like if someone listened to, oh, I couldn't even think of a good example, but like anything by Philip Glass or Steve Reich could be interpreted in a thousand different ways. And once you place a, a label on it, immediately you're zeroed in on maybe more what the composer was thinking about. And right. I don't know what the composer was thinking about when he wrote this. And it's so funny too, as a, artist myself um, all right yeah. um yeah go ahead sorry i was just gonna say the one more point to that about the titles is um sometimes i'll write a complete song and you know you have like five or six maybe or three or four titles you're gonna kind of use or you could use and it's that one decision that can totally change the entire song without even changing any notation or rhythmic 
or anything in the song. You're just changing the words that people look at when they click on it and it changes the whole song. I just, I find that so cool. And um, especially like long titles and abstract titles, like the eater of dreams, like it just definitely adds this artistic element to just words, not even music. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think it keeps the vibe of your description of the song about the, the serial killer. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, sticking with Trent Reznor, Sean. All right, so uh, Tyler, your next song is In Motion, uh, written by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, so this song is used in the social network, and I'm not sure if you've seen the movie or um, Oh, yeah. Not. You have seen the movie. Awesome. Yes. So, and then, Sorry, go ahead. No, it's it's funny that um, I found the score before I found the movie. Um, it's like such a musician thing, you know, like yeah, you find the music and then, oh, there's a movie that goes to the music you know, when really right. it's the other way around. But right. um, yeah, like I was mentioning before, this this one, the whole score to Social Network, I it was like my study score. Like I would put my headphones on and you, you, you kind of get into a trance. And um, that that's where this um, score led me. And it's actually one of the first songs that introduced me to like sequencers um, and the hypnotic effects that instrumental music can have. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. This song does take on a role of developing technology and you really start to see um, the role in the movie of, of, of seeing different characters of like you're talking about a, a Mark Zuckerberg or you're talking about the minds of maybe the Finkelvoss Trins or the, um, hopefully I say their name right. Um, <laughs> and then some other characters that you meet along the way. Um, and does this really play along with the idea of development of ideas or development in the brain? Well, I, well, I would, I would play devil's advocate and say it does both. Um, okay. But I think, I think it's, more developments of the brain because you develop through the brain, right? Anything, any kind of development ever is, you know, this neurological change in, in your brain and music can do that without you even really knowing it or knowing how it's working. Like, like all the layers that are in this uh, song, it's like you can, your brain chooses to pick one layer to pay attention to. And you can just listen to that layer throughout the whole song. And, and it's like its own song. And then you can er, like, like a whiteboard and erase that and then listen to the song again and pick a different layer. And then the, the song is completely different. So it's, it's really a, a brain thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like Sudoku or like a crossword puzzle, but in the form of a song. Right. And Honestly, when I started listening to it, it reminded me of um, Time from Inception. I'm not sure if you, you yes, know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome. that uh, Hans Zimmer score is it's funny. I was I was actually picking, like when I was picking these pieces, I was like, Interstellar is another score that's amazing. Um, right. And Hans Zimmer is an amazing composer. But um, just just like Hans Zimmer, I think Trent Reznor is like a, like a more dark version of Hans Zimmer, right? Um, which I don't know if he would in, enjoy enjoy that comparison right. or, or not. Um, right. But they, right. they definitely have a, a, a lot of similarities in just, I mean, even the title is in motion. Right. You have this constantly, you're, you're kind of just driving towards something. 
and um it's really cool the the like the the offbeats and the ands they make you, you want to bop your head and, and just like right. get focused in something right. um and then again you have this tension that's that's building um and even if you can't really understand it uh, you know subconsciously you can feel those swells on the guitars right. and um and it's funny like you just like there's a part of the song where it just stops the sequencers mm-hmm. and it's like you kind of like open your eyes and like look around like did did all that just happen like was i here was did i zone out you know you have all these questions and then before you could even answer the questions then the sequencer comes back in you know it's mm-hmm. kind of like like a beautiful metaphor for for life and kind of self-actualization i think <laughs> but then again that could just be me taking it to the another level <laughs> right another representation that's in the music is this idea of a crescendo that starts really softly and it continues and and something that we see now in modern music especially with um i think uh i guess electronic music is the is the is the beat drop mm-hmm. where it just kind of phones out and then it right. comes right back in roaring again and just keeps going um what role does that take within this music i definitely um i think it's like an awareness thing i think it, like if you weren't really paying attention to all the stuff that was going on and then if it just stops and then you kind of have it's like a refresh like when your computer buffers and then mm-hmm. it just and then it's back in and then you're you're looking at it or listening to it with a whole new perspective um but it, it's funny that you mentioned like edm and all that too because I was thinking about this the other day that like even classical music, like they have these like buildups and like beat drops in, in air quotes, right. like they're, they're everywhere in music. It's just, you know, maybe not on a, a synthesizer, you know, maybe it's on the violins or, you know, in the horn section or something like that. Right. I, you know, just, just like Hunter's song, I feel like it ends kind of abruptly. It ends right. really right before you can really get a grasp of what, what that's really trying to say and in my notes i wrote that although it is substantially longer it ends before we get a feel for the full message and now is that connected through an incomplete idea that clicks into a full idea at the end so like we're sort of like we're kind of like he you're sort of mulling around and then like i can't obviously snap but <laughs> just like like that you yeah. get the idea right away does is that exactly what he's going for is he saying or just kind of like a poof i'm going <laughs> like a magician like you know like disappeared from the stage right, i think yeah. it i think it's more of i've said all i need to say and now you fill in the blanks like i feel like a lot of music that i listen to is is very open ended um where they could keep going and they could tell you the, like the the rest of the story if you want to look right. at it like that um mm-hmm. but they don't they have you like right. even the ending like I think the ending is so cool. Um, when I was jotting down notes of kind of things I wanted to say too, I wrote down that it, it sounds like what pins and needles feels like that mm-hmm. ending. And, um, yeah. and I think that that just, you know, it's like this body sensation, but it's a body sensation that you need to pay attention to and you need to draw your own conclusions right. why it's happening. And I think that that's exactly what the, the ending does. Yeah. I think it's, a little scary too because i think it also plays in the role of social media too definitely and you know like the the way that as you said it just at least it's kind of up to us to the way how we decide how to use it and how we determine what we're having to think about what we're going to write down or what we're going to say you know um 
how to even type something. People will sort of pick on you for not writing perfect grammar. I've been uh, mm. attributed to that before. Um, what does that say about this piece? Does that sort of scare you at all? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think that there just, there needs to be this kind of sense of being scared and being vulnerable whenever you listen to music. Um, and, and I guess that this kind of ties into the, the fact that it kind of ends abruptly, like you were saying, right. is that it, it does that so you do realize these feelings that, that you have and, the, and then you can, you know, talk to yourself about them or, you know, you have like this therapy session with yourself and, you know, in the, in the time of when there's, you know, fading out in the headphones before the next song. Um, it's just so cool. Um, too, that I, that this is from a movie. Um, mm -hmm. because yeah. I, I think like, like if you have a, a situation like me where you just found the music and you're like, Oh my God, this music is so cool. And you come up with a storyline in your head. Yeah. And then you listen to it in a movie that already has its own storyline. And then, right. and then it's one of those things, again, I think we were circling on the same things is that, um, the storylines are, are made up in your head and, and, and then they can be kind of manipulated to, to whatever medium you place upon them, whether it be a film or whether it be a, a song title. Right. Cool. I see you, my friend. Um, Hunter, take away. Let's go to some Philip Glass. Yes, yeah, so it's always exciting to talk about Philip Glass. Um, you know, it's funny I mentioned earlier about, like, you know, sometimes you just you sit down and I, you're saying with Nine Inch Nails, you just sort of zone out listening to it while you're studying or something. I find Philip Glass, Steve Reich, and um, eh, not so much Alvaro Park, but that <laughs> style is good to sort of let it, you know, be that hypnotic self, zone out to it. Um, and this particular piece, um, which is from his, um, what do you call it, Glassworks album. And it was in 1982, for those who are wondering. So we were in the 80s. And apparently it was, quote, meant to introduce his work to a more general audience. And what do you think makes this more accessible to a general audience than his other works. Yeah, I think just um, the instrumentation. I think it's a it's a piano. Um, so so you have more people. Oh, are, we're talking about flow, or are we talking about opening first? Uh, opening. Sorry. Okay. 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 This yeah, is okay, the good. opening to his glasswork. <laughs> Got you. Um, I just want to make sure I'm talking about the right song. Yeah. Um, so I think I think opening is perfect because it is just piano and and piano is really accessible to people and um especially if you're a classical music person you you, you know how the, it feels to to listen to um these sort of melodic things on a piano versus you know if you start adding different instrumentation so i think that that is the reason why it, it it's a little bit easier for people to to listen to and to to, to understand is because it is on on the piano and um I think a piano is a perfect instrument to really showcase harmony. I mean, if mm -hmm. you know, if you know anything about music theory, if you know how to play, like you could literally visualize music theory on a piano. So not can you personally, I think not can you only visualize it on the piano. You can also really hear it when, when, when it's being interacted with um, the other notes. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's just this big repetition repeated 
uh, three times. You know, it's like two pieces of music, two sheets of music that then you just repeat and repeat and repeat. You know, and again, a lot of composers that fall into the uh, Philip Glass realm do do that. And again, every time you kind of go through that sheet of paper, even though the notes and the rhythms don't change on the paper, the second and the third time you play it through, they sound different. Mm -hmm. And wh and why do you think that is? Uh, it's, you know, it's like when you watch a movie, when you watch a movie the first time, you, you don't watch it the same way you watch it the second time and the third time. Right. Um, so music, you can, you can do the same thing, but it's more direct and it's more, um, I don't want to keep using the word accessible, but because um, the, the piece is only five minutes or so, right? It's very yeah, digestible. Yeah. It's not two hours long, um, which is funny. a funny point because uh, my, my girlfriend's dad is like a movie buff and he's like seen almost every movie known to man. And so he like references them all the time and he talks about how this cinematography is amazing and all this and that. And I'm like, I've never seen the movie. And he's like, how have you not seen, you know, like the Godfather, like you're Italian. How have you not seen the Godfather or whatever? Right. And it's like, well, I probably know the music from the movie, you know? <laughs> so it's like, we all have these. <laughs> and, and, and maybe I got the same messages through the, through the music that I, that I did through the watching the movie. But personally, I find it more um, accessible to, to me and to wrap my brain around it. If it's in the form of music, um, because again, a movie, movies are long and um, not to say that they're um, more effective or less effective than music. I just think it's, um, it's, it's how you get these messages, period. <laughs> right. And the digest, di the, di one can't speak, the digestibility of, of the length you know, whether you, if you want to argue about them being more or less effective, it is true that people are more likely to sit and listen to a song than if you right. ask them to sit and watch a movie, purely for the reason that it takes time. They may wind up loving the movie, but it's the idea of having to sit and watch, you know, a two hour, two and a half hour long movie. And, you know, with a piece of music, I feel like sometimes we fall into the same category, right? If you were to look on the Glassworks album and you see that the first uh, movement of Glassworks opening is five minutes long. Even for a modern consumer, that is longer, right? right? Because what average song is what two and a half, three minutes nowadays? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, even for that, people might find that uh, uh, excessive if you're like a pop culture listener. But if you're going to a symphony, right, and you know the people who don't, I don't, I don't want to say don't want to be there, but you know, you bring your kids, they might not want to be there. <laughs> And, you know, you hear they're going to listen to, like, Mahler 1, and they're like, oh, okay, start your watches. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but, so, but if you heard this is what you're going to, you know, listen to, and then it's done, that could be more appealing. Right. And, and again, um, movies have their own written out plot and storyline and, and what they're trying to get across, even if it's indirectly. Um, you know, I think... A, a visual way of telling a story is definitely more objective than it is subjective like music is. Um, and right. I, and I think that that's, I, and I love that. I think that that's so cool um, that there can be these different ways to, to communicate these messages and, and not to say one's right or wrong. It's, it's just, 
it's it's really cool whenever you take something that you haven't thought about and think about it deeply. <laughs> you know, that's just like my motto, you know, like why are, you know, why are fences made out of posts or something <laughs> like that? And and that could be, uh, you know, I'm just sitting out the window and there's a fence out there, but you can literally sit here and, and think about why that is and how it was made. And, and then, and then you're off into your own story and your own movie or whatever, you, whatever term you want to use, you know, it's just, um, and I think music does a great job of doing that without telling people that they're doing it. Because a lot of people don't like to think those existential things on a normal basis. But music and movies and, and art in general does that without them consciously doing it. Right. And to our point about what we were saying before with um, the Nine Inch Nails piece about assigning title or visuals to a piece of music and it changing the perception of it. Um, Glass, obviously, I think we, we might have talked about this a little bit when you were on last time, but, you know, he did the score for Coppola's movie, Skoyana uh, Skatsi. Yep. And, um, you know, that's something really interesting. If you listen to the soundtrack by itself, I mean, first of all, it just, you know, if you're not familiar with his, it, for those listening who aren't familiar with Glass's work, it sounds a little chaotic, a little all over the place. Um, and yet it's very him. But the minute you put it into the context of the film, which admittedly is not for everybody, um, <laughs> <laughs> it does immediately give a different sense of purpose. So Glasswork, you know, Glassworks on its own, it, which is, it's meant to be on its own, it's not for anything else. I feel like if you were to immediately place it in something else as a soundtrack, it immediately takes on a different meaning. Right. Exactly. Maybe that will. Yeah, maybe somebody will do that. better for audiences. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe they could. Uh, out of the glasswork work, why did you choose the opening movement first? Yeah, that's that. That's uh, obviously the whole reason um, was the accessible thing that that we touched upon, but it it's also. Um, mm -hmm. It's hev heavy, um, mm -hmm. like uh, harmonically, mm -hmm. but it's also heavenly at the same time. So you, mm -hmm. it, it has this way of like pulling you down and making you feel feel things like deeply, but then also make you feel light at the same time. Um, and that that's the the main reason I, I picked it. Like his, the repetitive melodic phrases and motifs. They're so, like ele elegant, like all of his pieces, but. Um, it's a beautiful, like less dance-like um, version of In Motion by Trent Reznor. Like it's like a more human sequencer, and that's why I I, I picked them uh, together because mm -hmm. I feel like they juxtapose each other uh, very nicely. You know, it's like uh, it's like Glass is doing the sequencer with his own fingers, and it's not a, a digital synthesizer. Um, and again, so they're kind of trying to get the point across the same point across um but then it it's totally different the way that you you feel it and you hear it mm -hmm. um and i think it's super cool that um like there's just these these slight changes in the melody that happen over time and then you know maybe you didn't catch it the first time but then maybe the second time you kind of caught it and then the third time you're like okay i i got i got what he did there and then it's so refreshing that again then you hear it again 
and then you know it's coming. So there's this kind of expectation that's satisfied. And you feel like even though you know the music is already written, even especially if you're streaming it, right? You you already know it's it's in a digital waveform, but you kind of feel somehow when you listen to it that you're writing it with him. Hmm. You know what? It's weird. I know exactly what you mean. That's a very good way of, of describing it. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing to kind of explain to somebody who um, isn't musical. And, and, I, and I never mean to say that like, mm -hmm. oh, only musicians know each other, you know, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot of... <laughs> There's a lot of things about music that you just can't explain. You just need to kind of feel for yourself. It's mm -hmm. funny. Uh, we've been talking a lot about movies. And last night, I actually, I watched Soul on Disney Plus. Oh, yeah? Uh, I've funny been enough, to watch it. It's a great movie, especially if you're a musician, um, but just a human in general. Funny enough, Trent Reznor did the score to that. Did um, he? So, yeah. So, like, my mind was blown when I was watching it um, for other reasons. But there's this part of the movie, not to spoil anything, um, but it, it, it's a visual representation of what it feels like when a musician is in the zone. Um, you know, when you can just get lost in playing your instrument oh, yeah. and, you know, and it, and it, and it shows like all these like kind of like shapes and shades of light that are surrounding you and you, you just kind of forget about the world. And I, I feel like that happens a lot for musicians. Um, and that's just one thing that you can't really explain to somebody if they haven't felt it. Um, so I always hate saying like, well, you know, I'm glad a musician gets it, <laughs> but it's so true. There's just certain things like, you know, a, a, a nursing student can't explain to a musician or a construction worker can't explain to a doctor. You know, there's just these things in your life that only you know how they feel uh, because of your life experiences. And um, music is definitely one of them. Yeah, I definitely, I completely agree. And, you know, like you said, if there's something in every profession that can't be explained to someone who doesn't experience it. So I think everyone needs to, well, I like when people can come up, like I haven't seen the scene, but when you can visualize that in some way and try to project to someone what it might feel like for whatever it is, in this case, musician being in the zone. Exactly, and that's that whole, you know, thing I talked about, about the fence, like looking at it as more than a fence. Like there's, um, there's so much um, kind of divide within people nowadays. And it's, you know, you like this or I like that. And if you don't like what I like, then I don't like you. And that's like s such a, a bad way to live, especially like as a human race and as a whole. But, and it's those moments through art, especially, but through just kind of trying to put yourself in other people's shoes and kind of relate to people, even if you don't fully understand it. And, um, and again, art and even just talking to people really does that for you. you. It allows you to do that. It does. If we could run the world, it would be a much different place. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, before we continue with Glass, we're going to take a quick break sponsored by our, our friends at Anchor. Um, and if you would be so kind, Tyler, as to read our handles for our listeners. Yeah, listen, I, I know we talked about just now, um, like, speaking with each other. And it's really cool nowadays that you can speak to each other through technology. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's how we're doing this um, podcast right now. So um, if you want to really see and 
hear the things that um, these guys are saying, which is great talks. Um, I love to listen to their to their episodes, and I'm honored to be on it. You could follow them on Twitter at MusicSpeaks underscore pod. Um, you could follow them on Instagram at MusicSpeaks underscore podcast. Follow them on Facebook or give them a like on Facebook at MusicSpeaks podcast and on TikTok at MusicSpeaks underscore podcast. Very nice. And we will be right back. All right, and we are back with my friend Tyler. And Tyler, the next song that we're going to talk about is Flow. Um, in the second uh, piece of the glasswork that Hunter was able to talk about in the first one, um, I wanted to ask you, Hunter didn't mention this about the first song, but I wanted to mention this briefly. I believe that Philip Glass was influenced by Bach's Prelude in C Major when he wrote the first movement of that work. Um because of the uh, sort of arpeggiated style that's sort of seen in this um, in this first movement. But I do want to talk about the second movement. And the second movement um, has to do with more instruments. Um, and I wanted to ask you because the first 30 seconds of the piece starts with just three notes. Ba-da-da. And then it comes back later, um, sort of in the middle. And then it, again, flourishes out to the end, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but I wanted to ask you about those first three notes. Does that add like a building block to the work or does it add like a small framework that eventually builds upon the digression of the notes? Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely gives the listener something to then recall. Um, you know, it, and it's very digestible. Uh, like you said, it's like three notes that what could be more digestible than that? Um, especially for kind of an average listener. And um, somebody who's not going to dissect it like we will, you know, right. um, but then and then when they hear that, then it's like this familiarity, um, e even if it's in a completely different context or if it's after this ginormous swell, um, not to be corny. I, I think I love how flowy the intro is, um, <laughs> even though it's called flow, you know, uh, uh, but I think I like it so much because it sounds like it's going to be another calm piano piece. Um, and in the beginning, that's not a, a piano. I believe it's the sax playing that melody, but right. it, it's, it's muffled and it, it sounds like it's going to be this, you know, opening again right. where you're going to have this, okay, we know what Philip Glass is going to do. He's just going to build upon this and then boom. And then all these te textures come out and this, mm -hmm. the ensemble piles on top of each other. And all of a sudden it's like, you're feeling electricity and what it sounds like. Right. We talked about this a little bit with in motion, but um, with this nature of flourishes and this nature of um, digression and people playing at different times, um, it can be chaotic. But do you visualize this piece to be more beautiful chaotic or unsettling chaotic? Yeah, I definitely never, at least yet, have discovered an unsettling chaotic thing about any type of music or any piece of music I've listened to. Um, and again, that could just be a personality thing. Um, uh, cause there are a lot of people who could listen to this and it sounds like a swarm of bees that they, you know, are stinging, <laughs> stinging them, you know, <laughs> um, right. I, I kind of see it like these bees are like leading you to this beautiful field of wonder, you know, it's like, they're not stinging sure. you, but I could see how people can hear it like that. And again, it's all just about your intentions and right. attention. You know, if you're paying attention to certain 
interactions between certain instruments, you right. can really see how beautiful those motifs are. But if right. if you if you're just listening it like blanketly, like it is very could be very overwhelming. Right, right. I want to ask you because sometimes with the unsettling, have you ever heard of Christoph Pendrecki before? I have, yes. You have, yeah. Uh, victims of Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. You have heard of that? Does yes. that does that remind that that's that's definitely a grossly overstatement of what this this music could be, um, but I think in that in that mind, I think of that as unsettling. Um, this to me sounded beautiful. I just wasn't sure of the chaotic nature that you had seen. Maybe I when I when I listened to this, I had sort of thought about. There's a scene. I'm not sure if both of you know this. There's a scene in uh, Wreck It. Uh, I mean, Ralph wrecks the internet or something like that. Breaks the internet where he's about to go into the internet and he sees everything and it's sort of like flowing and just kind of like, it's kind of very ambiotic and he's sort of seeing everything and it's kind of flying all around him. And I sort of thought about this for, for a short moment because I had thought about the way um, placing notes in that particular way can sort of have that impact on the way we present music and especially the way that he writes it in this way. Um, I want to ask you this because we did talk about this again in, in my in the last song that I was talking about with in motion. But um, can you help me define development in his music? We talk about diminution, diminution, which means to make notes faster from previous sections, from sort of um, not elongating but shortening them and making them go faster. Um, so, what does this say about the use in this work, and why does he use it to portray what he's trying to portray? Right. Um, to touch on the, the, the first thing you said, um, right. there's a, a, a scene from Koyana Skatsi, um, where it's like the, the grid or when it's all like the, this time lapse of cars going by and like kind right. of industrialization right. of Same. the world. And I think that this, this song fits perfectly, even though he <laughs> wrote the one for that scene, I feel like this one fits like that. Like I picture like, kind of floating out in space and, and you don't really feel anything, but you can see all this stuff like happening before your eyes. Um, and it's just feeling that inner calm, even though the outer stimuli is, isn't very calming. Um, but I think w how he manipulates certain phrases, either drawing them out or speeding them up. And it's, it's not about that one phrase. It's mm -hmm. about that phrase interacting with the other players. So, which is why I picked this because it's with the, the ensemble. Mm. So it's not just Philip playing by himself where he's just right. interacting with his, his fingers. Right. He's the, all these different players are interacting with each other in um, their, their instruments likewise. Right. Um, so you have this more human kind of sound <laughs> to it. Like you can feel and hear the hum humanity in it. Right. And um, I think it, it, it it starkly resembles um, Steve Reich's clapping music where you have this kind of one rhythm and then there's different people kind of moving the rhythm, the same rhythm on top of each other. Right, uh, right, I, I think right. this does the same thing um, besides the fact that they're not identical rhythms. Right. Um, you have this, it's more about the interaction of other parts and not the specific part itself. That's right. the way I look at it. Right. Yeah. Very beautiful. Uh, I really enjoyed this one a lot because it does add a lot of different elements in it. And as as we say, I mean, sometimes with minimalistic music, you have to start somewhere. And those three notes really do build into something more beautiful. Yeah. 
And I think that's definitely simplicity at its most pretty, I think. Yeah. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And um, like I said, in like the first couple minutes of, of this is that I, I like when there's the bare minimum of what needs to be there. And even though this song isn't minimum, <laughs> um, I feel like it still is to, for what it's, it's getting across and, and, and the kind of message it has. I also, I guess I just like shock in music because <laughs> um, it kind of mirrors life. And this song, again, stops abruptly and then builds up again and then stops abruptly. So it's like at the beginning, you were like starting to drown from maybe that overwhelmingness. And right. then... Um, and then you kind of float back up to the, to the surface where there's True. that little light section. But then again, you just get like pulled right back down. And then True. before you know it, it's, it's done. Um, right. So I think that that's, um, it's funny that these, uh, this is only my second time on here, but in talking to you guys, but right. I feel like these are kind of like therapy sessions a little bit. You kind <laughs> you kind of talk through like, like, wait, okay, this is why I like all these songs because they right. kind of have these similar things. Um, right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's funny and I don't have to pay you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't go through my insurance. Well, anchor does pay us to be here. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> nah, um, we do want to get onto your next song. Um, and it is so interesting because I know you have this dying passion for David Byrne. Um, let's get I right into it. Hunter. Love that man. <laughs> Take it away. I'm sure he loves you too. Um, <laughs> so with that lovely intro, the first one you picked, which was by Brian Eno and David Byrne, um, was America is Waiting. And it's definitely a different piece. Um, I know it was released in 81, and we all know, you know, obviously that was a big culturally revolutionary time. Um, both here and overseas, and particularly in Britain. Um, and the first thing that struck me is the lyrics are not sung. Why do you think that is? What would be the, the reason behind choosing to have the spoken lyric instead of sung lyric? Right. Um, this, this album, um, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts with, with Brian Eno was like a, a, a really big turning point. Um, and again, I wasn't even alive, you know, but like researching it and, and seeing the techniques that they started to use and where they started to use these tape loops and all this sampling and really just like distorting the crap out of all these instruments and vocals and and i mean david byrne has his way of just kind of speaking normally in song in his own songs uh, not really a singing like person most of the time so but i find it super fascinating that it's not even brian eno or david byrne singing it's it's um these vocal samples that were were, were taken and um it's it's funny because it's like especially the lyrics um which I wrote down in a couple uh, specifically that I wanted to talk about. Um, but they're like things that we've, we want to say as people, and I'm sure a lot of people want to say it back in, in the eighties, but even now, you know, the, the world we've been living in and it's not the musicians that wrote the song saying it, it's somebody else. So it's really right. like weird to like, it's like that inner voice in your head that wants to say all these things but then you don't let it, but then somehow like it comes out in the track and the vocals uh, samples come through like later too. Like there's a whole minute or so where it's just that groovy track. So you don't even think that there's going to be lyrics in it. And then all of a sudden it's like the inner voice in your head, just like, nope, I'm not going to be quiet. And then just starts rambling. Right. Um, 
so I, I think it's super cool um, too that um, they were doing this stuff all analog too. Um, so oh, okay, you know, like yeah, the eighties. There, right, there was no like timestamps where you could go. Like overdubbing was like super hard. You know, it got easier obviously in, around that time. But um, and I think that adds to the effect of that it's sampled vocals and it's not somebody singing them. Mm -hmm. And what were those lyrics that you mentioned? Yeah, so um, I wrote it down. America is waiting for a message of some sort or another. Taking it again, again, again. Well, well, now, no, no, now we ought to be mad at the government, not at the people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like listening to that in 2020, it's like it's like eye opening. Like to to that was being said in the in the 80s, and mm -hmm. and now it's the the second twenties <laughs> and um, you know, I, I feel that every, every single day we need to be mad at the government and not mad at people. Like we were saying before we're so divided and it's, it's most of it is not because of us and our differing views. Um, I mean, just look at the, I don't want to get too political on here, but like the, the COVID relief package and the amount of money that Americans are getting versus all these other nations, like it's the government, it doesn't matter what side you're on. It's like we're on the people's, we're on America's side, and, and it doesn't seem like our government is on the same. Um, so it's crazy to see a song like that that's really funky and has the father of ambient music on it with my idol, and, and they're, they're <laughs> saying this stuff, you know, and it's, it's timed and aged, sadly, very well. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's, you know, it's sort of, I think, been the case. Every generation has had those feelings and some of them have said something some of them haven't but like you said i think it's always been the case where the the i'll call us i'll call us all the common folk um <laughs> the common folk i feel like generally coexist relatively peacefully and you know they have their opinions but everyone goes about their lives respecting those opinions and and then, you know, the higher ups tend to be the people who cause a lot of what's what I'm looking for, turmoil, I guess. And that's mm -hmm. definitely we, we've seen that every generation. This particularly is more pronounced now because we have the ability to share it so quickly. Right. Like you were talking about earlier, we can talk to people now over technology. We can share things over technology. It's the nat. Well, unfortunately, the natural progression of when people were yelling at each other just face to face. Then they were doing it over television. Right. And now, now they're doing it over social media. It, it makes it seem so much more escalated now, which admittedly it is because it's so widespread. Mm -hmm. um, but you have people like um, Byrne and Eno who back in their time when, you know, television was mass means of communication or radio really was, was still, I guess, the most popular. Um, you know, that was how the message got out there. And I don't know how popular, do you know if this song was a popular, I would imagine not over the radio. Yeah, I, I wouldn't imagine it, it would be either. You know, I think um, the, the fascinating part about music especially is that, you know, back then you would have, like you said, TV and radio and that would happen once, right? So if you saw mm -hmm. something that really like changed the way you looked at something or, you know, caused you to argue with somebody, then you're arguing about what you saw and you can't relive it with then people got records and they had this, you know, this kind of, um, 
like a timestamp really like to right. just that, that they could just replay it and you know there's another line in the song where it's like um i haven't seen any 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 citizen over there stand up and say hey just a second you know and like you could just keep replaying that part like look it like nobody's doing like this song can speak this hundreds of times i could just keep moving the needle and you know when you have people doing that over radio you, you can't really argue with it too much it's just said and then it it kind of blows in the wind so there's this really beautiful way that music right. cements, cements these things in, into history mm -hmm. and something interesting you know based off of the lyrics you just said is remembering that both those artists who who created this are british right, right. i mean they they work in the united states i think you know on, on occasion or they did work here, but they were British. So a lot of this was happening and they're looking from across the pond. And I mean, it's again, the eighties and news is not as instantaneous. Coverage is, uh, well, to be honest, coverage was probably a little more thorough than it is now. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's this idea of they're getting a sense of what's happening over here. And yet, there's sort of, like you said, there, I don't know, when I was listening to it, I got this sense of like, there's mystery surrounding the United States, right? Because it's not the same country, obviously. When you look into any country, if you don't know what's going on in it, there's a sense of mystery about it because it's the unknown. So they're looking across the pond at, at us over here, wondering like, what's happening over here? Right. And the, and and the, that, the coolest thing, right, is that then this is what they said, even if it, it wasn't their words, which is even cooler. But, and then, so they made a statement and now like, you know, you, you can't go back to those radio broadcasts that were making statements in, in the eighties. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I've never tried to find a radio <laughs> show from the eighties, but you know, but in, in, you can find this anywhere. You can get it on vinyl. You can get it on a, a cassette, on a CD, you know, and, and then just, you know, sometimes I, I think that musicians are, you know, closer to real journalists than some journalists, you know, even if they can have their words printed in a, in, in paper or on an, um, on a website, it's like, it, it's so much more powerful. I think when you add all those other elements that again, are up for interpretation. I mean, right. Words are powerful, but we, we've talked about this on the show many times. I think we talked about it with you last time. Music conveys something more than just that, right. which really, it connects with people more. So if you're going to put a message through speeches can be very powerful, but I don't think they'll ever be as powerful as listening to the sung word, even if it's a spoken word plus music or sort of in this sense where it's the sound effects creating the atmosphere along with the message. It's all more than just words. Right. And that, and there's actually like, you can test that out for yourself. There's some YouTube videos of like, um, Obama speeches that have like, like lo-fi music in the background mm -hmm. or like, it, you know, it's like kind of like soundtracked to just almost like what this song does. And the, the to total speech sounds completely different just by adding music, you know? And so that was already cemented in history. And then mm -hmm. now you, you interpret it differently, um, just from music being in it. Right. And I think, you know, this is, thinking about my, you know, our schooling days, you know, you're sitting in history class, you know, you could read the speech 
teacher might hand it out and say, we're going to dissect the person's speech. But then, you know, you put on a documentary and you're watching the speech happen. And probably the documentary was scored by, you know, whoever they had on retainer. And, you know, you're watching it and you're like, wow. Right. No matter who it was, whether it was, uh, you know, Kennedy, I, I mean, we didn't have Washington, but Kennedy, <laughs> Obama, you know, any of the great orators, Martin Luther King. Um, and you, you know, they probably slipped that, like you said, that lo-fi track in there. And it just adds so much to it, more than you would get just reading it on a piece of paper. Exactly. And a newspaper, even reading it online, it's just not the same. Right. Yeah. All right. And with that, um, I would like to turn it over to Sean, who has a little bit more to say about the next, um, the next uh, track by David Byrne. That is correct. Thank you, Hunter. Uh, the next track we're going to check out is Things to Do. Parentheses, I've tried. Um, Tyler, you know on this show that I like to pull up my slam poetry skills from time to time. <laughs> Um, Hunter, you know that as well. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get snapping and clapping. <laughs> so if 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 you can just in, indulge me for a second, I want to read some of his lyrics, um, just to check this out. Here we go. Number one, try to walking quickly be. Number two, count to ten, smile, count to ten. Number three, big shoes. Number four, watching big shoes. Number five, buying things and spending money. Number six, counting things. Number seven, inventing facial expressions. Number eight, parking. Number nine, fixing things. Number 10, writing letters. Number 11, studying maps, inventing street names. Number 12, scraping the garden. Number 13, putting the garden in the house. Number 14, <laughs> pointy things. Number 15, bumpy things. Number 16, broken things. Number 17, finding the bank. Number 18, finding the window. OMG, Tyler, what the heck does this mean? <laughs> well, it means whatever it means to you. <laughs> um, it's funny. Um, again, you know, David Byrne is really, you know, I every single project that he's done, I've just, I've kind of dissected it just to kind of understand his brain. And he's really influenced me a lot as an artist. Um, so I found this, um, that he did the knee plays for an opera called civil wars, um, which Einstein on the beach is my favorite opera, but all time from Philip glass and Robert Wilson, which this opera is also from Robert Wilson. So it's, again, I think we talked about this the last time is that we find these connections after we realize things and we're like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like why, why I love this so much. Um, like the guy who was involved in my favorite opera now with my hero, like cool. Right. Um, but this is just so cool because personally I've always loved the knee plays in operas which for those who don't know, it's the sections of the opera where pretty much the stage crew needs to do their thing, right? So the, the stage is, is, is black most of the time and, and techs running around with their heads off. And, um, but the audience is still being entertained with some sort of kind of music to, you know, you know where they can turn over to the other person and, and ask questions or whatever. Um, but I've always loved knee plays in operas 
because it's the part that really nobody pays attention to besides the musicians and the tech crew, right? Um, so there's just something so beautiful about that. Like nobody is really paying attention to it. And then you have, you hear David Byrne talk through these existential questions and sentences right. with his mellow voice. And honestly, it's like heaven to me. It really, it really is. Um, <laughs> like number seven, inventing facial expressions. Like, mm. like really, like, honestly, I say this, but I know I really don't mean it when I say it, but it doesn't really mean anything, which again, obviously it does. But like that sentence itself, like, or like count to 10, smile, count to 10, that could be interpreted so many ways like are you having a bad day so you tell yourself to like in all those things race through your brain just trying to understand what the heck like you said what the heck is going on right. and then you're already on to the next number right. right but it's so cool that it's over this like jazzy like you know like this smooth kind of all these saxophones playing it's like yeah. groovy but and it's like what is he talking about <laughs> That's a funny segue because I want to talk about the instrumentation in this song. So bear with me as I read along what he has going on. Do it. Baritone saxophone, percussion, trombone, vocal words, trombone, baritone, trombone, trombone, trumpet, saxophone, trumpet, drums, saxophone, trombone, trumpet, writer, arrangers, writers. <laughs> that, all that in, in that. Yep. Yep. And, and you don't hear it as that though. No, right. Not at all. You, right you just no. hear it you know like i literally i just imagine a guy in like a you know a peacoat and like a, a nice fedora with like a cigar strolling down you know broadway or something like that right when you listen to this <laughs> and like every time he pulls the cigar out of his mouth he says like number one you know number two <laughs> um but there's like these beatnik poetry yeah exactly That's like right. hugo ball type stuff <laughs> you know i try guys i really try um <laughs> Yeah, you guys um, didn't see on the on the the call. He actually he was doing that. He, he oh, had, oh sure. Yeah, he, uh, Sean just put out his cigar. Yeah, I, <laughs> I there, yeah. Um, I I just felt like a whole. I felt like a therapist right there for you, Tyler. Just reading those and say, what do you what do you think about those? And then talking about instruments and saying, am I maybe a musical therapist? I don't know. <laughs> you know what know. it is? It's it's the equivalent to the the ink blot things that they do, mm -hmm. right? you know, they, exactly. like, what yeah. do you, what do you see in this mess of, you know, and it's like, Oh, right. you, you know, have an, a sex obsession or, or something. Like, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, but it's just saying a sentence right. and, course, and yeah. yep. You d just dissect it yourself. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And again, yeah. I feel like that too, it, it wraps up a lot of, of the songs we talked about today is, right. is really, um, we're kind of dissecting the song itself, but the songs themselves are meant to for you to dissect yourself. Right. Perfect way to, oh, that's to recap. Perfect way to recap the song with the sex addiction. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I wanted to say because we didn't really get to talk about the music, but this is a really beautiful, soulful song, and I, I it's almost like a hymn in a way. It just yeah. kind of plays itself, and it, it's so beautiful, but. Tyler, we need to break this down as your therapist. Um, <laughs> what does this have to do with numbers? Now, do you have an answer to that question, or are you expecting one from me? I'm, I'm expecting one from Hunter. Oh, from me? And, and then you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hunter. Hunter, get into it, buddy. 
What does it have to do with numbers? Mm. What does this song have to do with numbers, Hunter? Well, I think it's just a, I think it's a laundry list, to be honest. Mm. I think it's, it's not prioritizing. It's, it's not, it's just him using, you know, right. but he's just, he's just numbering them. It's not a grocery list. I could be list. totally wrong and missing the it, point of the song. It, it's not a grocery list, Hunter, so don't worry at all. <laughs> I know, yes. We had talked about that in the one we did the other day, Tyler. No, I detest nothing more than grocery shopping. <laughs> it's truly my least favorite thing in the world, which is why the co you know, COVID has been good. I haven't had to go to the grocery I haven't had to right. go to the grocery store. Yeah, but me, I think the numbers, I think yeah. um it's funny because there's so many so so many, so much numerology in music mm -hmm. when you when you think of intervals you think of chords you think of harmony it's it's all really i say all the time that i don't like math but i do like math because i like music and um i don't know if this is burns point but i think when i think about it the stuff he's saying is like i said there's really no meaning in, in until you attach the meaning to it but the numbers right. numbers are the really the only thing that is known in the universe, right? right? Like um, numbers, uh -huh. mathematics is the fabric of what the universe is, right? And existence is, is really, we only know numbers. Um, so I think that that's kind of like this, this weird juxtaposition to where like he's stating something that we know as a fact. Um, right. And then again, um, kind of with music <laughs> in the background. But then, and then you also have this, the end of the sentence where it's like, okay, but that, that's not a definite. And then you go back to the number and it's like this kind of cat and mouse game. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I've never really thought about it as more than just, you know, this is, he's making a list of, of things he's done or wants to do, or, you know, like um, it's like a page from his journal and he just kind of numbered the lines so he wouldn't forget it. Um, mm -hmm. Now, what did you think, Sean, about the about the numbers? What I thought about the numbers was I thought they were maybe more of a list of instructions. Like you have to do it sequentially? To sequentially to find out a way to get to a happy place. Because mm. isn't that sort of where he's always trying to find? He's always trying to find the secret to happiness. Yeah. yeah. Aren't we all, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. Um, and the happiness is 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 right in front of you. Uh, the the time the amount of time that you're taking to dissect all these steps towards happiness when you can just sit there and and be and be present and then you will find happiness. Right. So it's this weird. Maybe that's the whole point. Maybe he's like at the end, like you just listen to me count to what is it, twenty six or twenty seven, and and why though or why you could have just already been you could have been there. <laughs> Right. And it's funny, there's like a, another knee play um, that goes kind of by the same name. Um, I think it's, I think it's things that I've, I've done. Because um, th this is things to do. And then afterwards, and I think it's like the eighth knee play, he says, it's the name of the, the song is thing, things I've done. And there's right. no, wor and there's no words in it. Right. So that could be him like, well, once you get to this, you should have realized like, you shouldn't have been listening to me, you should have been just listening to the music and yourself. And then that's why there's no lyrics in it. Right. Yeah. Mm. 
Never, I never thought about that, but right. now I'm going to have to listen to those, all the, all the knee plays again when we get off this. <laughs> right. Tyler, uh, Mr. Summa Cum Laude, um, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Um, I want to congratulate you on that. I want to congratulate you on your new album, your new EP that's coming out. Um, that is called Weird Times, and it's coming out December 31st. Tell the people about it. Yeah, so in the beginning of 2020, um, mid midnight on December 31st. So, you know, January 1st, I released, uh, Genesis, which was an EP with one of my, uh, UB friends. Right. And I thought that maybe I did something. Maybe I'm the reason why 2020 was so messed <laughs> up, you know, maybe, maybe that Genesis was like, okay, we really are starting over and the universe kind of got this wrong hint. Right. So I decided that, okay, well on the last day, of 2020, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to re release another EP. Right. Um, and hopefully, you know, the universe kind of balances out. But yeah, it's um, four songs. Um, I never really, I didn't plan on it. You know, I've been doing school, getting ready for grad school. and But there's just something in me. I know I talked about it last time that I need to always be creating. So, and you know, these songs just kind of came to be. And I'm, and I'm always one for sharing. I never like to keep artistic stuff to myself because I feel like once it's out in the world, um, then it's the world's, you know, it's, um, and that's the way art should be. So I, I, I read all the time people like, you know, oh, I had this, these projects, you know, that I didn't get to finish for a couple of years or whatever. Like, you know, you just do it, even if it's not perfect, because it's never going to be perfect. The, you're always going to, as an artist, you're always going to want to be changing and editing things. So, so yeah, that comes out on December 31st. If anybody wants to listen to it, it'll be everywhere. And, um, yeah, more stuff from me in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> right. I'm sure. Come on back um, because we had a great time talking to you today. And uh, we always learn something when you're here. Um, well, likewise, it's it's a it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you guys. And it's always good to be a therapist for you whenever you need to talk about your. Yes. Your <laughs> so, um, I'm going to say goodbye um, and I will leave the closing remarks to Hunter. So Hunter, take it away. Yeah, I just want to reiterate want to reiterate what Sean said. Um, pleasure to have you here. We were happy to have you back. And my congratulations as well on your graduation. And I wish you the best of luck with grad school because that's always exciting. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I'm sure you'll love working with the kitties. Um, because it, it, I, I always say that like, you know, teaching, one minute you're gonna wanna pull your hair out and the next you love it. And it's, it's sort of like playing golf. Um, <laughs> the same way. Um, but again, seriously, thank you for being here. And we certainly hope to have you back. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, whenever the, the time comes, I will definitely come, come pop back on and, um, pick, pick each other's brains again. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. That's all for us. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you so much, Tyler, for being here again. It's been a pleasure. We will, to next time on our next podcast, we'll sit down with Karen Ashley. And that's it for me. I'm Hunter Sagana. I'm Sean Rakunis, and we will see you next time. <laughs>